0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of The Drum Network Podcast. I'm Senior Reports for Tech at The Drum, Chris Sutcliffe. We write about programmatic every single day on the Drum.com because it has its tendrils in every part of the media and marketing ecosystem at this point. We know that there are fantastic potentials still to be achieved within programmatic, and yet there has been fantastic work done in broadening out the practice and making it accessible to people who might not ever have entered the marketing world otherwise. But... Sometimes it's best to take a step back and actually take a look at it holistically. And so to that end, we've invited three fantastic guests on to talk everything programmatic in our Programmatic 101 episode. So to begin with, then, I like to ask my guests to introduce themselves. So Liz, could you tell the audience who you are and where you're from, please?
1: Yeah, hi there. Um, so I'm Liz Falway and uh, I'm in uh, EPAM Continuum. Uh, EPAM is a engineering company in its DNA, but we also work on consulting and designing solutions for clients um, within many different areas, but I'm focused in digital media.
2: Fantastic, and Louis? Yeah, I'm Louis Shirmley. I'm a pragmatic lead to anything is possible. Uh, we're a independent UK agency. Um, with full-service capabilities, um, working across multiple clients in different industries. Um, And I've been in programmatic specifically for over seven years now, um, working across different um, various agencies.
0: Nice, fantastic. And Elliot?
3: Hi, yeah, so I'm Elliot Kremer. So I'm a programmatic lead here for Space and Time. Um, so I've worked for various um, trading desks, worked in uh, Group M in Paris. But uh, yeah, in Space and Time, we're uh, basically looking at technology, data, content, all that uh, for the programmatic team.
0: Fantastic. Well, as the audience will know now, we have a breadth and depth of expertise on the panel here, so I'm delighted to welcome the three of you onto the Drum Network podcast. One of the things we like to do with the podcast is use it to examine one of those underlying issues that we write about all the time, but that sometimes require a bit of a step back to look at holistically, because it's so easy to sort of get into the nitty gritty of everything. So to begin with, Liz, I wondered, could you help us really set the scene? Um, How has programmatic changed over the last couple of years, You know, both from kind of supply, demand, basically the entire picture about how, what are some of the big changes you've seen?
1: Yeah, so I mean, to to start with, um, I'd say we're nearly coming to twenty years now of of its of its life. Um, I remember the first um, the first kind of exchange that Right Media had built the idea of of sort of having inventory in this environment that wasn't necessarily trafficked in the same way as, as, as before. So, um, you know, programmatic is 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 nothing new. It's very simply about trading media against data. So it's, uh, you know, as that data opportunity has grown over the last um, dozen years, uh, you can see how it's it's getting traction in terms of it being much more prolific, say, than it would have been to start with. Obviously, the biggest changes um, in the last few years have to, we, we can't really not mention the demise of the cookie and, and some yeah. of the privacy um Uh, regulations and policies that people like Apple have taken and um, so it it has that obviously is challenging where you're looking at um, a reduction in the ability to knit together those data points for some of the typical marketing use cases um, retargeting being a very obvious one so uh, yeah I I think um, that that would have to be somewhere you'd start in terms of understanding what's changed the last few years.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I, in fact, both of our other guests were nodding along there. But one of the things that you mentioned is, you know, that some of these changes have been brought in by some of the big tech companies as well, and sort of a, a redefinition of what you know data can be used for. Um, and so, Louis, what would you say then are some of the biggest drivers of those changes?
2: Yeah, I think um, uh, talking just going back to that kind of point around the demise of cookies, like that's really stemmed from kind of kind of user perspective. You know, people aren't happy with. The way that data is being used and shared across the industry, um, which has kind of of led to a lot of regulatory changes and, and kind of the way that programmatic is kind of bought and sold. I think one of the big kind of pendulum swings from a kind of media buyer perspective is kind of moving away from using kind of audience first approaches and audience data um, and looking into more kind of contextual based solutions, um, which isn't reliant on third party cookie um, and kind of appeals more to those kind of advertisers that are very privacy sensitive and aware Mm -hmm. of kind of their consumer needs and um, habits. So I think that's one of the kind of big changes that we've seen over the last few years.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. And and Elliot, how much of that, you know, as Louie mentioned, is driven by the consumer and sort of the consumer's growing awareness of the digital advertising landscape and what is actually being done with their with their data.
3: Yeah, I think it's it's definitely um, for the best of uh, for users to make better use of, of their data. So first and third party data, having more control is definitely a good thing. But if you think of like the GDPR, for instance, when GDPR appeared like a few years ago, we thought it was going to be the end of programmatic and eventually it was not at all. It's just a matter of almost if you think of we created, uh, well, programmatic um, programmatic became where it is. Now, if you look at a market map or like one of these like landscape that you can find online, you see so many actors on the market, so many players, so many companies, everybody's trying to take their chunk of the... Mm of the of the cake if i can speak like that so it's it's for the best of users to have better control of what are we using how we're buying it and what sort of transparency there is and for the for best of brands as well because if i were if i am a a client i want you to know exactly where is my cost going Uh, is that media is that data is that brand safety like where is my money going basically
0: no, that makes a lot of sense. And that's very much in line with a lot of what the uh, the drummer's been seeing in terms of trends, both from commentators and from some of the experts that we've interviewed. As Liz mentioned, that is now 20 years since we all started really getting into programmatic in a big way. And I wondered how broad has it become as a buying process? So we've seen it recently being um, moved into you know programmatic buying of ad space within 3D virtual environments even. So Liz, yeah. how broad is programmatic now from a, from a buyer's point of view?
1: Yeah, I mean I was I was actually going to add to that, Chris, because that's the that's what I was thinking um was that the other piece was was it it started off as a very niche piece of digital, right? So it was, you know, um and also driven by uh, inventory types like Facebook and YouTube, right? But um, I remember five, six years ago, consulting with businesses around digital out of home and how you could build an infrastructure for that. And if we go back to the the main, as you know, I would say we all agree that that programmatic, by definition, is the marriage of media and data. It doesn't have to be a cookie. So, for instance, for digital out of home, it can be based on um, traffic volumes, weather, et cetera. So there are lots of different triggers out there which are more privacy compliant as well. Right. Mm. So they're, they're known things. Um, so, and so and connected TV, I've I was th- spent the last three years really um, embedded in, in understanding that better and how it, it fits in from a, a, a cross channel point of view and um the opportunity for brands is huge because you have a well you have a bit more control over uh planning connected tv into digital and at least connecting what you can there so it has become a, a lot more prolific in terms of the different channels um and you know i think uh, if it, the other side is the the promise of, of programmatic around uh, workflow efficiency isn't lost right so mm-hmm. You know, you you still there is still that um, underlying principle behind it, and um, so I don't see that changing. I think it's it's just a way of trading, and therefore, um, it's it's not something that I think is going to expire. I just think it will evolve.
0: And how much? So to, just to build on that, you were talking there about that being you know part and parcel of the modern marketer's arsenal, there just as kind of a, a channel to use, Louis. To what extent then do we think that? That I suppose marketers now feel like programmatic is just that it's just a, a, a tool to be deployed to, to Liz's point, make things much more friendly and sort of to really emphasize that ease of use.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of kind of the definition of programmatic, it is really, really is about kind of making efficiencies in the media buying and selling um, landscape. So, you know, if you think about kind of pre-programmatic times everything was kind of bought on a direct basis and and kind of over the over time we've now and kind of adopted all of these ad tech solutions that can kind of facilitate this for us and make it a much smoother process Um, but yeah I think just going back to kind of that, that kind of original question around it being a broad topic I think um, I was thinking about this the other day. I think programmatic is kind of kind of outgrown itself in a phrase mm-hmm. or in a term in itself. Um, it's it's become very complex and kind of you know, every, every if you ask kind of people in my agency, like the kind of definition of programmatic can be very um, very diverse. So um, I think there's maybe like um, some work to be done in terms of the language that we use when we explain what programmatic is. Um, and also kind of that buying process, there's kind of, kind of, kind of on the flip side now where we're, we're using more kind of direct buys. So if you think about kind of premium marketplace or private marketplaces, sorry. Um, we're kind of going back to that, um, yeah. that kind of traditional way of, of buying media. So it is very, very confusing. Um, but I guess it's more of an education piece for kind of speaking, um, You know, and using these kind of mediums that we are today on this podcast kind of to talk about it and and educate people around what pragmatic is and what it can do. Well, you've preempted a question
0: I was going to ask later, which is, you know, to what extent do we need to educate the kind of the, I suppose, everybody within the market about what is possible here. But Elliot, you were nodding um, quite vigorously along to some of what Louis was saying there. What was it really that that took your fancy?
3: Well, I think it's it's very interesting what both Liz and Louis were saying because it's literally like a few years ago they were saying like to to um to clients who wouldn't know what's programmatic, what programmatic, what programmatic is, uh, we would tell them, um, "Well, you can do remarketing display." That would be like the entry door uh, for a programmatic campaign. Very uh, very basic approach would be, "Look, we have that amazing reach, that amazing scale uh, with programmatic buyings. Whereas now the conversation is much more like, "What can we?" What is not programmatic? Because we can do TV out of home, that's for the most advanced format. We can do audio standard display, still there. We can do native as we can do rich format. We can do in game placement. So it's today when we're talking about programmatic, it's almost like can we be more specific or you mm. end with a, a full catalog of all the different contents that we can push? And then it's the client who needs to pick what exactly they need.
0: So then I'm going to throw this question out to all of you. Is there need for more... understanding within the marketing industry about specialisms within programmatic do we think that there is you know a need for us to explain what our own roles are within that kind of programmatic ecosystem better either to clients or to you know new entrants to the market are i
3: think up? there will be i think there will be definitely a merge of uh, of knowledge and expertise between the traditional media and the programmatic buyers so for instance when you look at uh, so i'm based in manchester but if you look at all the Streets in Manchester, like uh, we've got screens everywhere. um, can be Global, Clear Channel or JC, Deco. they will ha- need to have this uh, programmatic expertise. And so will the agencies. We we need to have um, the knowledge about uh, what exactly uh, is the-, the media about, like how we buy it, what sort of uh, tracking we can have, because anybody with a digital background will have expectations like that, all like purely online. So we have to like merge the the, the mm. two worlds, if I can speak like that. Yeah, and absolutely. I I was going to kind of counter that slightly,
1: just be you know having kind of seen it from its very early days and, and into now. I I would question whether we do need a huge amount of discussion around what you know what it what it is because it's not a channel; it's just a way of trading, mm. and it doesn't have to be more complex than that. Right. So, you know, it's it's your your channels are whether it's audio out of home, et cetera. Um, you know, we, we have a blurring, unfortunately, in, inactivation between brand and demand. And mm-hmm. that to me is more of a challenge than how it's actually bought. So I I would actually kind of say that we just we need to just focus more on the, the principles of of media, buying rather than the mechanism and you know Louis, you 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 mentioned around the um uh contextual coming back and and that being something that's of value um but equally you could argue that uh you know, where we may not have some of those, Ellie, you mentioned like remarketing, some of those use cases will be a little bit more challenged. But like the out of home example, there are lots of other triggers and signals that, that can be brought into the bid stream to be bought against that makes your media buying more effective. So, Um, I don't think we should I think as an industry we tend to navel gaze a bit too much about like all of these things and what they mean rather than just using them as a tool and 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 the sooner we we extract the mechanism from the goal the better Mm -hmm. really because it's 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 creating the silo by using Lumping everything in that term, programmatic, because then you have a programmatic media buyer, and so what does that mean? They should be embedded in all of this.
0: Mm, That makes a lot of sense. And actually, there's there's two things I want to follow up on there. One, Elliot, Manchester, great city, my hometown. (laughs) So delighted to see that getting some rep here. And two, I wondered, uh, Liz, you were talking about the goals there. So Louis, to what extent then do you think that programmatic is currently, you know, to 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 Liz's point, delivering as much value as it possibly can as a mechanism for buying and selling? or are there things that are still getting in the way of it sort of reaching its full potential?
2: I think there's probably a yes and no answer to that. Right. Um, I think in terms of value for programmatic, is it delivering value? I think yes. I think leading on to the, the points that we've already mentioned, kind of the ability to buy across a multitude of, of channels under, say, one DSP, for example, is, mm. you know, that delivers huge efficiencies, not just from Kind of a media buying perspective but you know for kind of agencies working for brands um it delivers efficiencies in time as well like things like reporting optimizations can be condensed down as we're kind of using um, a condensed amount of, of tools and um, so that's kind of one kind of area of value that it does deliver um I think also as well, like quite interestingly, it has levelled the playing field in a way. Um, okay. Like in terms of kind of, you know, the, the likes of TV and out of home may not have been as accessible as before for kind of advertisers with maybe smaller budgets, but now we can actually do that for almost any any kind of client um, now in these days. So I think that's kind of an area and a value that programmatic has delivered, but. Again, on on there is a lot of work I think potentially, and there are some issues around um, value in terms of the you know like the supply path. I think mm. is a big um, area that needs to. I mean, this has kind of been going on for years now, but um, it's an area that needs kind of clearing up. Um, As it can, I mean, if we're talking about an open exchange, it can be quite um, murky, which is why. And um, there's benefits to kind of using more kind of PMP deals and um, guarantee deals with um, direct relationships uh, to publishers and that can help sort
0: that. Yeah, certainly. There is that, um, you know, there is choice there, I suppose. It's not that people are being forced to do everything on the open exchange, which is interesting.
1: I, I was going to mention on, on, on top of that around, the, you know, the, the the point of, of. um uh, media and 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 say open exchange and, and the relationship you want to have with the publisher, right? So if you look at the growth of retail media, you know, Amazon have created another wall garden of, of great inventory of, of mm. intent-based um buyer, you know, consumers uh who you can target, you know, off site. They're their data, um, you know, does have to exist in their ecosystem, but it is very valuable from a from a um, performance point of view, but also potentially from the brand side. But other retailers getting in on the game, right? So, you know, you look at um, Tesco's media platform in the UK. Um, all all of the other kind of traditional grocers like Carrefour across Europe. And they're they're all building up these capabilities. And it's because, um, A, there's a huge opportunity for them in terms of adding margin to a, you know, margin um, suppressed business, especially with macro things going on like supply chain, et cetera. Um, so there's money to be made in in them monetizing their own media, um, but this it, so that that's a great driver for this. But it's the other side of it as well is is what we talked about with data, um, and the fact that first party data is so valuable. Uh, and they're sitting on a ton of it, mm. and it doesn't even have to be um loyalty data with very deep shopping basket analysis. It can just be data from their shoppers, um, which is a- already very rich data. So um I think that that trend towards more of an investment into retail media is is um backing up both the uh, point of wanting a relationship with the publisher and wanting still. To leverage data to make your buy more effective.
0: So I think that the, the question that naturally follows on from the discussion to this point is, we've spoken about where programmatic wasn't where it is right now. What are some of the big developments that are coming down the pipe for programmatic in the near future? Elliot, what do you look forward to in terms of programmatic, either in terms of tech or in terms of how um, people are using it?
3: So it's quite um, it's quite focused on like my current my role, but I'm looking forward to seeing how each channel will articulate together. Because at the minute, we're looking at um, online, we're looking at out of home, we're looking at TV. Uh, we see more and more technology coming in the way. So like for instance, eyeball tracking, footfall tracking, all this um, like added value for our brands and for, for us, for media buyers to to inter, inter, interrogate our, our strategies. So I'm looking forward to seeing how all that articulates. I'm not too. I'm not too excited. I'm not too nervous about cookie deprecating because I think there'll just be a, there will just be another solution. It can be a unified ID from the trade desk. It can be a Google sandbox uh, from from Google. But I'm not really. I'm not really nervous about um, the outcome of it. Um, but yeah, I'm looking about. I'm looking forward to to how all these channels will will go together, and how we can measure the success mm-hmm. for our
0: clients. Okay, so sort of confluence of everything that's been going on in terms of channels and and measurement. That's interesting. And Louis, what would you say are some of the things that you're looking forward to, either from a kind of practitioner's point of view or from the view of the wider marketing industry?
2: Uh, Yeah, I think following on from its point around measurement is a real um, kind of, there needs to be developed um, in the future. We're kind of very used to that micro level measurement you know, uh, measuring people on an individual level and without cookies that is going to kind of be a lot harder in the future um so looking at kind of the bigger picture um you know things like media mix modeling and brand list studies are going to be more um appropriate for programmatic channels um and i think they you know they, they do give more of an insight on how um media is actually impacting wider business mm. rather than kind of just you know um, measuring on a channel-by-channel basis. So that's definitely something. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited that there's, there's lots of data developments that are happening in the background, I think, and I'm reading recently around Apple's potential ad empire. I think that's going to be, you know, rumors of their own, their own DSP could be kind of a game changer in the programmatic space um, and obviously Netflix. um know, being able to buy Netflix as
0: um, it's very soon is going to
2: be, you know, super exciting for a a media trader by heart like me. Nice. And
0: Liz, then, you know, Louis was talking about new entrants into the space. Is there anything particularly exciting that you've seen outside of those kind of those new players, either developments from previous people who've been in there, or even to Elliot's point, some of those kind of those bigger uh, developments in terms of how people combine all the disciplines of programmatic today?
1: Yeah, I, I I would go back to the retail media piece. Mm. I mean, I, I know I've been very in, in, embedded in this for for a few years, so it's it's top of mind for me. But
0: um, <laughs> it makes that uh, makes total sense.
1: You know, if the the, the um so you know as we said, yeah, there are new players coming in both within um, a very much above the line piece like Netflix and somebody like Apple, who's got so much opportunity, despite the fact that it clashes a lot with their privacy ethics, but how we let's see how that goes. <laughs> um, but then the other side is, is um, uh, again, onto that point of whether it's brand or demand, and, and because there's such a, it, it's very, programmatic has given us a lot of interest in measuring outcomes, right? So you can see, how and it's it's real it's it's beginning came from that if you like was you know uh, and it's moved further up the funnel but um so the the retailers having that closed loop uh, and creating uh, a much quicker measurement framework or or loop is is super interesting for cpgs who don't sit on a lot of data and who have to go and do an mmm which is very much retrospective you know last year's data it's not very current it's very interesting don't get me Mm. wrong and it still has its place in measurement um, frameworks but um i think the ability to get um performance and optimization data faster will come from the likes of those sitting on on consumer first party data like the grocers are and i'm i'm speaking very much now from a cpg perspective having spent 3 years at nestle but even you know and d2c brands it's slightly different because they own a little bit more of that first party relationship um but yeah so the the growth in grocer media uh, and commerce media, if you want to look across, there are, you know um, many retailers who are actually advertising around their their own product base, and mm. um, that would surprise you. You're going, oh, you know they're creating marketplaces for the brands that they have in addition to their own brands. So that's a huge trend as well. So it's they're all and they're all taking advantage of the same um, connectivity. Uh, and data opportunity that the programmatic ecosystem offers. So, um, yeah, just, just growing number of, of players that are more on the data and media end, I think.
0: Nice. Well, you've all preempted this last question, uh, which my editor wants to ask um, ever so slightly there. But one of the things that he's keen to know is to what extent are there still verticals and sectors that are yet to take true advantage of programmatic?
1: I suppose you you could say B2B in a way, Chris, because mm. um, it's, it's a, you know, if you talk about a target audience, B2B is the smaller audience, right? And and we all know of, you know, having come from the the, the planning and buying background, the three of us have, um the smaller your audience, the more expensive and the more difficult it is to, to scale or, or to even hit that audience. Right. So um, but I, I have seen, you know, quite um, interesting B2B businesses get involved in programmatic. I think their expectation can sometimes be too high. Um, but to Louis's point as well, like I think performance TV uh, has been around. You know, you have ways of understanding um, footfall to a website on the back of of advertising on TV. I think it does offer an opportunity for brands that don't have a ton of brand budget to throw at like prime slots, to also uh, invest in in more of the performance side of TV. Um, to to. Uh, you know, to to kind of use what budget they have to the most effective mm. way, because from a TV planning point of view, I mean, it's you have to throw quite a lot of money at it to get the impact. Um, so it's it is opening up uh, more avenues for both slightly esoteric marketplaces mm. or, or target audiences, and those that that don't have the same budgets as as some of the big boys.
0: So, Elliot, Louis, is there anything, you know, you you want to add to what Liz was saying there about either budget or anything, Elliot?
3: Yeah, so it it goes in line with what both uh, Liz and and Louis were saying earlier. And so, like, about the B2B um, segmentation and challenges, absolutely, there is something to do with programmatic. Mm. And what we can think of, like, the C-suite, the so precious C-suite targeting uh, criteria that everybody's claiming to have, and then it's so difficult to actually, like, uh, reach. Um, or we can think of like more like traditional verticals, like health, um, health professionals, or recruiting, uh, the recruiting sector, for instance, where it used to be very much like a direct bias between agencies and and. Um, Publishers And now we have more PG deals, more PMP, uh, av- so private marketplace deals available on the market, which makes the, um, the trading available now for, for programmatic buyers. So I think that there's going to be like a lot of opportunities for media traders to, um, to have access to things that so far were very, um, very like wall garden, um, wall garden uh, areas,
2: basically. Yeah, so um we've used sort of tested TV um, out on a lot of our clients where they don't have like the biggest of budgets like the likes of you know Nike or McDonald's but they they've they worked they've used it to, to great effect and you know we can see the benefits of it and you know, using like kind of search Lift studies to kind of monitor when we have TV live uh, what impact does that have on kind of brand search terms that can, mm. that can kind of have that interconnection with other channels uh, that's worked really well um, but in terms of kind of a particular vertical um we work with a lot of um higher education um clients at universities and i think there's a lot of opportunity in the kind of video and gaming space because that kind of really speaks to that that demographic um kind of targeting um people in like, premium spaces so Twitch, for example, could be you know, a, a real opportunity um, to find those those audiences, um, prospective students. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that as a, as a vertical.
0: Perfect. Well. That has been a whirlwind tour through everything to do with programmatic and its future. So, I'd like to thank Liz, Louis, and Elliot. Liz, if anybody wants to find you and get in contact with you about anything you mentioned today, where's the best place for them to reach you? Oh, I'm going to have
1: to give it to LinkedIn, aren't I? That's I fine. That's yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it's for Liz Salway. Um, uh, yeah, so you, you'll find me there, S A L W A Y.
2: Perfect. And Louis? Yeah, LinkedIn as well. Um, you just type my name, Louis Sherman, and you'll, hope You'll find me. Perfect. And Elliot?
3: Um, yeah, same again. Elliot Krimer on LinkedIn. Or you can drop a note at hello at spaceandtime.co.uk.
0: And one of the things to bear in mind is that if you, if anybody who's listening does want to learn more about this, we write about programmatic and its various forms, its various functions, every single day on thedrum.com. So if you're interested in learning more about any of that, reach out to my guests or do visit thedrum.com. But for now, thank you so much for listening and Goodbye.